joy to be with you again. And I want to thank Pastor Clayton for this invitation, for Lynn and I to worship with you, and for me to have an opportunity to uh, bring the Word of God to you today. Um, I know that Pastor Clayton just finished an eight-week series on Philippians, uh, Paul's Epistle of Joy. And so I'm glad I can spell you for a, a Sunday, Clayton. I don't think most people realize how demanding uh, preaching can be. It, it really... Uh, it's a wonderful thing, but it, it can be really demanding. Uh, for a pastor, the focus of the week usually is a sermon, and uh, Sunday worship's a highlight, and it takes hours of preparation, and some weeks you don't get them, do you? You don't get those hours, you look for them. And as a preacher, you want to make sure you have the correct understanding of the text, you want your words to be true to that text, you pray that the congregation will hear God's voice, even though they're hearing your voice, they want, you want them to hear God's voice you want to find appropriate illustrations so the hearers of the word can make connections to their daily lives. And you want to build disciples who can take those truths they hear and apply them to their life and who are encouraged and who are challenged. And I just want to say to this congregation, you are very fortunate to have a pastor with such a high regard for the authority of God's word. Uh, I had a chance to watch a couple of the sermons on Philippians. And I really appreciated Pastor Clayton's insights, his clarity, and the way he showed you how you can respond to God's word. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful gift you have. You hear that word preached every week so clearly. And the reason he can do that is because he believes it. He believes the word. And he's passionate about it. So again, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to be with you. As I said, for the past eight weeks, you've heard... Uh, from the epistle of joy, you've heard about the joy the apostle Paul had, even though his circumstances were certainly not very favorable. And you were probably inspired as I am by Paul's joy. In this difficult, troubled situation he was in, he was joyful. What a, what a hopeful message to us today who feel like we're in a troubled situation, that we can also experience joy. And that's why Paul could say, rejoice in the Lord always Again, I will say rejoice. Well, this morning I want to continue with that idea of joy, that joy found in Christ, by looking at two parables that Jesus told. And these are two parables about the kingdom of God. And in each of the parables, Jesus teaches uh, that we can find joy, priceless joy, when we discover the kingdom of God. So let me read these uh, parables to you here. And uh, this will be my text for the sermon this morning comes from Matthew, the 13th chapter, beginning with verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Well, before we take a look at these two parables uh, from Matthew 13, I want to have us just have an understanding of what the people that heard Jesus speak might have thought of when they heard that term, the kingdom of God. So I want to review some thoughts about kingdom of God, or as Matthew says, the kingdom of heaven, what the hearers might have thought. Now, they were very familiar with the promise from Isaiah chapter 11. You are as well. And here it goes. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then listen to these next words here. See if I got it right. Got it. 
of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, these words were spoken 700 years, approximately, before the birth of Jesus. And, the, and for hundreds of years, for all these 700 years, the Jews waited, knowing that someday someone would come, somebody who would need to be supernatural to fulfill this prophecy. They believed that someday a great king would come who would set Israel free, and once again, they would be a sovereign nation. And that was their expect, expectation when they heard that term, kingdom of God. So when we read these parables about the kingdom, and there are several parables in Matthew 13 about the kingdom of God, we have to think about what did these hearers think they were going to hear, and then what did they hear? They were expecting a great king, greater than King David. The Bible holds up David as the greatest king Israel ever had. He and his son Solomon ruled over a kingdom that was wealthy, militarily strong, geographically the largest it would ever be, and prestigious in the eyes of other nations. But all that came to an end because of the mismanagement, the unrepentant nature, and the unfaithfulness of kings who followed the two of them. Then the crowning blows were that in 722, the northern tribes of Israel were conquered by the Assyrians, and, and in, uh, later in 586, uh, the southern tribes were conquered by the Babylonians, and Israel as a powerful nation was no more. Instead of being free and independent, the people of Israel were captives, and they were taken to a foreign land, the land of Babylon. Psalm 137 describes the utter dejection of these people. Listen to these words. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. And for the next 600 years, the people of Israel were oppressed by a series of nations culminating with the Romans. And so when Jesus told his parables, it was the Romans who are now in control of that land we call the Holy Land. So what would first century Jews think when they heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God in parables? Well, remember, they were anticipating a great king who'd be like David, militarily strong, politically astute. So it's easy to understand why these Jews who hated the Romans would hear these words, kingdom of God, and think of a political revolution or maybe a battle for national restoration. Their hope was that a king a political, a military leader would make everything better. They're looking for this one person to make it all better politically, you know, uh, economically, all different ways. And I thought to myself, you know, we oftentimes do the same thing, don't we? We too can put all our hope in a political leader that that leader will make all things better. Now we have a presidential election coming up in just a few months, and there is a lot of stake in this election. There are two candidates and two parties that are worlds apart in their vision for the future of America. Both sides believe that their vision will be, uh, lead to a better future. Now, I certainly believe that one side's vision is better than the others, and that it is a critical election. But I want you to hear these words from the late Charles Colson, who knew something about political power. He said this, the kingdom of God will not arrive in Air Force One. Isn't that great? 
The kingdom of God will not arrive. It's an important election, but the kingdom of God is far greater than the nations of the world. History teaches us that empires come and they go. I do pray that the United States, which I believe is the greatest nation on earth, even though flawed, I pray it will last for many more generations. But it's also important for us to know that uh, it will not last forever. Empires come and go. I do believe it's important to have the right leaders because leadership does matter. But here's the point. Only the kingdom of God will last forever. It's the kingdom of God that will bring a better future. But it won't be because the right person won the election. It's because Jesus reigns eternally. Now, Jesus had a different understanding of the kingdom of God than the hearers had that popular understanding in the first century. Do you remember what uh, Jesus told Pilate when Pilate asked him if he were a king? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was going to bring about a revolution, but it wasn't going to be political. He does turn lives upside down and inside out and those who believe in him but it will not be by political or military might that all these changes take place. Jesus will do and does what only he can do. He will set people free from sin, death, and the power of the devil. So what did Jesus do to prepare his disciples uh, for this kingdom and how to enter this kingdom? Well, he told stories. He told parables about the kingdom of God. And it becomes clear that his kingdom is different than what other people expected even though they didn't realize it at the time, what they really needed and what they really longed for was a kingdom much more powerful than a political revolution or a military king who would defeat the Romans. So here's the key to understanding these kingdom of God parables. The kingdom has come in the person of Jesus, in his words and in his deeds. Only faith can recognize that Jesus is the king. Wherever Jesus reigns in a human heart, there the kingdom of God has drawn near. Now, we believe the kingdom of God will come in its fullness sometime in the future when there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more tears. We long for that. But we have to notice that the kingdom of God's power is already present in the hearts who believe in Jesus Christ who call him Lord and who obey him. And the kingdom of God is already having an impact. Now the church is not the kingdom of God, but the church is a sign of the kingdom of God. It is a sign that Jesus reigns in the hearts of the men and women who believe in him. Can you imagine for just a moment what the world would be like without the church? If every local congregation was suddenly gone, what would the world be like? I think it'd be a lot darker. Just think of the things that this congregation, this one local congregation is doing to make a difference in our community and across the world. Pastor Clayton made the announcement about Operation Christmas that's going to be happening in the next few months. Multiply it by the hundreds of thousands of churches around the world and the things that are being done to proclaim Christ and to make life better for other people. That is a sign of the kingdom of God in our midst. The church is not the kingdom, but it is a sign of the power of the kingdom. 
We often say, I have Jesus in my heart. But what do we mean when we say that? Well, we mean that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, don't we? That, that we know him. He's alive in us. We mean that we've experienced his love. We've experienced his life-changing grace. We mean that our lives are different now than they were before we knew him. We mean that we have submitted our lives to Jesus, our king. We mean that the kingdom of God is drawn near to us. And I want you to notice this. That also means because it's drawn near to us, we are sons and daughters of the king. And that's who we are. I'll never forget a, a young woman who shared her testimony with me one day. She said that she was raised in a very secular family and her experience of life as a young person was very, very dark. She said she knew nothing about Christianity when she was a young person. And then she told me there was an indescribable change that came into her life when Christ came into her life. Once, what was once dark was now filled with light what once was a life of bondage to a lifestyle that was quite sinful was now filled with joy and with purpose. Instead of guilt and shame, she said she now experienced a liberating grace that only God can give. It, it literally turned her life upside down and changed it in a beautiful way. And she said this to me. She said, don't ever stop telling people about Jesus and about his power to change lives. She had become a subject of the kingdom of God. She had become a daughter of the king. And that change was a beautiful change in her life. She is no longer oppressed or depressed. She had a pres the precious joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Well, with this in mind, let's look at these two parables I had read earlier that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. Both these parables are very similar. And one, there's a hidden treasure. And the other one, there's a pearl of tremendous value. And in both parables, the one who found them sold everything he had and bought it. Well, Jesus is painting a word picture for us of the great value of the kingdom of God. It is so valuable and so great that the act of finding it leads to the response of selling everything that one has in order to possess it. Whatever the cost, it was not too great. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus repeated some of the Ten Commandments. And the young man said, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus said this. Let's see. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Well, you remember what happened next. When he heard this, he became very sad. Why? Because he was a man of great wealth. He walked away. He walked away from Jesus. The treasure was right in front of him, but he was not willing to sell everything to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I love what Peter said to Jesus right after this happened. Peter watched this. I think he was a little nervous about it. And he said to Jesus, we left all we had to follow you, Jesus. And I think he was asking Jesus in that statement, you know, did are we going to enter the kingdom of God? Well, in fact, Peter and the disciples were examples of that person who sold everything because that's what they did to follow Jesus. But Jesus then responded with these words. I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God 
will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. There are all kinds of stories about people seeking treasures. On April 15th, 1912, the largest cruise ship in the world sank in the North Atlantic Ocean. Remember what the name of that ship was? The Titanic, right? The Titanic. It was on its maiden voyage when it hit an iceberg and it sank to a depth of 13,000 feet under the surface of the ocean. The Titanic was built for $7.5 million, which today is equivalent to $400 million. And after it sank, it almost immediately became a treasure that people sought to find. Millions of dollars were spent over the years to find this lost ship. There were numerous expeditions to find it. Some explorers may have spent everything they had in an attempt to find that ship. It wasn't until 1985, 73 years after it sank, that it was discovered by a joint American and French expedition. The value of the artifacts that were in that ship that were brought to the surface is $200 million. But I think to those who found the Titanic, the real value of this discovery is priceless. Men and women will invest millions of dollars to look for a treasure like the Titanic. But here's an important point. They're all temporary. Only the kingdom of God is eternal. And only this treasure has the power to change your life for all eternity. And Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God has power to heal and to forgive and to set free from the bondage to sin. Jesus taught in that first parable that when the treasure was found, the man was filled with joy, priceless joy. And in his joy, he sold all that he had so he could possess the treasure. You see, he understood you cannot put price on the joy of finding the kingdom of God. In this parable about finding a treasure in a field, Jesus is making another point. Our relationship with him is the treasure. That's how we enter the kingdom, a relationship with him. The kingdom of God draws near through him and the joy of knowing Jesus and living with him and for him is priceless. I have a dear friend, a pastor friend by the name of Pastor Stan. And Pastor Stan is a, a man who has tremendous joy because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. He was raised in communist Czechoslovakia. He was raised in a Christian home. And when the communists came in, they told young people, if you are a Christian, you cannot go to the university. And he wanted to go to the university. So one day he came home and he announced to his parents that he had, um, he was done with Christianity. He renounced his faith in Christ. And for the next 20 years, he lived as one who had renounced his faith in Christ. He came to the United States and some friends of his were Christians and invited him to church. And Stan says he was so creative with his excuses and he kept putting them off. It wouldn't go to church with him. That all changed when he had a massive heart attack and he had a near-death experience. When he was revived and when he was well enough to receive visitors, the first people to come to see him were this couple who had invited him to church. And he says, before they asked him to come to church with them, he asked them, 
can I go to church with you? And he did. And he found the joy of the kingdom of God. And his life has never been the same. He'd be the first to say that the joy he possesses is absolutely priceless. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. There is no greater treasure we can seek than to know Jesus Christ. In the second parable, the merchant found a pearl of great value. And just like in that first parable, he sold all that he had that he might possess it. Jesus does not mention joy in the second parable about the pearl, but I think we can assume that that merchant was filled with joy or at least tremendous excitement or sheer delight. But in any case, Jesus wants us to understand that when he calls us to follow him, that includes everything, including ourselves. So I want to have you imagine what, what it might look like to find this priceless pearl. And uh, Juan Carlos Ortiz is an Argentine pastor who wrote a wonderful book called Disciple. And in it, he describes what might happen. He said this, when Jesus comes to our lives, his grace is free, but he wants us. He wants all of us. And so we approach the seller of the pearl and we say, I want this pearl. How much is it? The seller says, well, it's very expensive. But how much, we ask? Well, a very large amount. Do you think I can buy it? Of course, anyone can buy it. Well, didn't you say it's very expensive? How much is it? And the seller says, everything you have. All right, I'll buy it. Well, what do you have? Let's write it down. Well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good. What else do you have? Well, that's all I have. That's it. Nothing more? Well, I have a few dollars in my pocket. Okay, I'll take those dollars as well. Okay, what else? Where do you live? Well, I, I live in a house. Okay, the house is mine. Oh, my, I'm going to have to live in my camper? Well, <laughs> you have a camper? Well, your camper is mine. Well, that's okay. I guess I can sleep in my car. Oh, you have a car. Well, I have two cars. Well, those two cars, they're mine as well. Both of them. What else? Well, you already have my money. You have my house. You have my camper. You have my cars. What more do you want? And the seller of the pearl says, well, do you live alone? No, I have a wife and two children. Oh, your wife and two children. I want them as well. Suddenly the seller says to him, see, I almost forgot. You yourself too. I want you as well. Everything becomes mine. Your wife, your children, your money, your house, your camp, your cars, and you too. And then the seller says this. Now listen, I will allow you to have and use all these things for the time being, but don't forget, they are mine just as you are mine. Well, that's how it is when we find this treasure. That's how it is when we live under the reign of Jesus Christ, when you are a child of the kingdom. Jesus said that the two people in these two parables sold all they had to buy the field or to buy the pearl. And when he said that, what he was saying was, it comes at a great cost and a great commitment to follow me. But it's a wonderful 
and joyful commitment to follow Jesus Christ. We cannot buy our salvation. He's not saying that. He did everything for us. But we need to know that he wants all of us. The cost is not too great because he is priceless joy. He is everything we long for. Mark Vanderteig is a uh, pastor in a, in, for uh, the association I belong to, and he's the head of it, and so he does a lot of traveling. And he tells a story of one time he got on a, a morning flight to fly somewhere. It was like 7 o'clock in the morning. And a young woman sat down next to him, and he said she was pretty rough looking. And she, he went to greet her, and she put her headphones on and gave him a clear indication she wanted no conversation. And so they sat there on a the flight, and uh, once they were able to get up in the air, the stewardess came by and offered drinks, and this young woman ordered a drink. And Mark says she took it and kind of slammed it down. He said, you know, it's like 8 o'clock in the morning. A little bit later, she ordered another one. Took care of that. A little bit later, she had her third drink. He said, after that, the headphones came off, and she wanted to talk. And he said he, she poured out her soul to him. She didn't know who he was. She didn't know he's a pastor. She was, he was just somebody who was willing to listen to her. And she poured out her soul to him of broken relationships, of failures, of trouble, of addictions and bondage and just difficult life. And Mark was listening to him, thinking to himself and praying silently, God, you need to help this woman. <laughs> you need to send somebody to tell her about Jesus Christ. He said the flight continued and nobody came and he's still in, Lord, you got to send somebody to tell her about you. Well, finally the flight ended and he realized he was the one who needed to do that. So he said they both stood up to grab their lag, luggage over the, from the overhead head bin and, and she turned and said to him, well, it's nice talking to you. And he said to her, I just have to tell you one thing. God loves you. Jesus died for you to forgive you of your sins. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. He said, that's it. She grabbed her bag and off she went and off I went. He said, I don't know if it made an impact or not, but I realized then I was a very unwilling evangelist. But I finally just shared a very simple message about God's love for her. And the reason he did it is because he knew that what she longed for was Jesus, and he would be the priceless joy that could change her life. Well, this morning, as I speak to those of you sitting here and those who are watching online, I know that many, maybe most of you already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that you do. But if you don't, I want you to know that he loves you. He died for you and for the forgiveness of your sins, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And so I'm going to have us read together here in just a moment a prayer that uh, gives you an opportunity, if you, if you don't have a relationship with him, just to tell him you're sorry and ask him to come into your life, and he promises that he will. And for those of you who already have that wonderful uh, privilege of knowing him and have that priceless joy in your own life, it's just a way to just kind of recommit yourself once again. So if you would join me, make sure I get this up here. Let's read this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I need forgiveness. I need a new start. Please come into my life right now. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for inviting me to have a relationship with you.
and for the gift of priceless joy, which you have prepared for me to receive. Amen. Well, again, it's been a wonderful joy to, to be with Joy Christian Community Church. What a wonderful name. And uh, have the opportunity to together uh, kneel before the throne of our King and to know that he reigns eternally and we are children of the kingdom. Amen. 